Good morning. I'm Carrie, and I'm going to be reading from Psalm 100. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Thank you, Carrie. Good morning, everybody. There's a movement in the Bible. It begins at the very beginning, third chapter in. You see that Adam and Eve make a certain decision to move away from God. And as they keep making these decisions, we see symbolically this happens by saying they went out east. So it's this constant eastward movement. So I know this is an east. I don't have a compass, but I think this is south. But let's just work with me for a second, okay? They just kept moving east. They exit paradise, the Garden of Eden, on the east side. And then Cain, four chapters into the whole thing, says he moves east. Ten chapters into it, says the people were on the eastern hill country and by the time you get to the 11th chapter of this whole thing what we read is is they kept moving eastward symbolizing that they are separating themselves from God and moving away from God so what's the book of Leviticus really all about the book of Leviticus I know if you've read it before it can seem oh my gosh what is this about all these details what is this what it's really trying to say at a very high level is how do we as people re-enter the presence of God. Is there a process? There is a process. You want to go see a king? You want to go see a president? There's protocols in place. We don't show up down at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, you know, rap on the gate, jump the gate, run across the lawn, right? We don't do that. There's protocols, protocols in place. I remember I was in Nigeria years ago and a little village and this village had a king. It had a king. We wanted to see the king. We had to put a request out to see the king. And after the request, they said, okay, we'll let you see the king. Okay, we'll put the process. But if you come to see the king, you have to bring a gift. We didn't have anything. Somebody had a packet, a brand new, brand new packet of underwear. All right? So we wrapped it up. We brought it to the king, handed it to him. Don't open it now. It's okay. Don't open it. Right? Don't open it. It's okay. Don't open it now. But here's the gift. There's a process. There's protocols in place. Protocol in place to see the president. Protocol in place. Shouldn't there be a protocol in place to see the king of kings and lords of lords? So that's what Leviticus is really about. How do we re-enter the presence of God? We have a diagram that we want to show you up here. And that diagram is of the tabernacle. We used the diagram last week. Uh-oh, uh-oh, got it. You'll see that on that diagram, there's uh, only one gate in. It's by the number one. Do you see the number one there, everybody? Number one is by the only way in. What side do you think that that gate is on north west east or south east always on the east there's one way in it's from the east why because god is standing there because that tabernacle represents just like the temple later represents the presence of god in the most intense way right that is the presence of god and it's like god is standing at the only gate in because everybody keeps moving east and so he stands at the eastern gate saying come on back come on back and we talked about this last week by his grace Come on back and return. God desires that we return and we enter into his presence, which is really what we long to be. That's why there's all these scriptures. This is my soul is thirsty for God. My soul is longing for God. My soul feels like a desert because my soul only needs one thing. And what's that one thing? To be in the presence, to be in the presence of God. So uh, three protocols. We're calling them protocols, sacrifices, procedures. All right, there's a process. So the first one was to acknowledge the fact that there is a separation. 
The second one was to acknowledge that it's very easy for us to replace. That was last week. I find it very easy in my life to replace God. I said, you know what? I got to have this in order to be satisfied or sustained. When what the story of the Bible tells us is really we ultimately only need one thing. And you know what? All the studies show us too. And what Mick Jagger spoke to us last week, right? Fame, fortune, all this stuff. I'm, I can't get no. That was your line. That was your line. That was your word. Your I can't get no. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Our souls are thirsty for one thing. And so here we go. So we're up to the, 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 the third thing. And here I find this, you know, we've been talking about life and literature, that we see these themes in life and literature. So I wanted to study this and figure out what is considered the greatest book of all time. So uh, a website called Great Books compiled a list 107 lists they compiled together they put an algorithm together they weighted everything out and they came out with what out of those 107 list of top books what from the algorithm says is the number one book literature not religious literature book and history anybody want to venture a guess that wasn't here in the first service <laughs> would like to venture a guess greatest book of all time I'll give you a hint by a French author anybody know what it might be greatest book of all time no, no, I, I love Les Mis. It's not Les Mis, okay? In Search of Lost Time by Marcel Proust. Yes, never heard of it, somebody said over there. Uh, so it's considered the greatest book of all time. Uh, interesting enough, it's in seven volumes. If you were here Easter Sunday, we talked about the importance of the number seven and what the, I just thought that was fascinating, seven. But there's a number of themes in those seven volumes. Here's the mega theme. Here's the mega theme about this book that's considered the greatest work of literature of all time, memory. The desire to go back to a time and a place when everything was wonderful and right. A desire to be at a place where there is innocent joy. Interesting innocent joy, wonderful and right. And it just made me think of this because of all these scriptures that talk about my soul longs, it's thirsty, like a deer panting for the water. I desire to be with God and I can't find satisfaction. And all these studies that we have and, and all the songs that we have that there's no satisfaction in the things of life and riches and fame and fortune. I can't. Faust. I can't. Even though I'm successful, I can't find satisfaction. It just made me think. Do our souls have a memory trace? That there was a time when we walked with God in paradise, when everything was wonderful and right and innocent and joy-filled. It just made me think about that. Protocol number three. Number three today. What is this all about? The Shilamim sacrifice. What is that? It is this. It is simply this. And it is so practical yet powerful. It's when I acknowledge God's answers to my prayers. In other words, I pray a specific prayer. God, please do X. God answers, and I say, thank you, Lord, for what you have done. You might say, well, John, that, just, that is just so basic. Why is, that, why is that special? It's very, very special. And God says it is a vital step and entering into his presence. Somebody prays a specific prayer. Now, we're not positive of this, but, but we think that when they entered into the tabernacle, they sang Psalm 100, what Carrie, Carrie just read for us a moment ago. I enter into his presence with thanksgiving in my heart. I enter into his courts with praise. They sang that song, giving God thanks for what God has done. Hannah, there's a famous story of Hannah in the Bible. She didn't have a child. And in that day and age, oh my gosh, so badly Hannah 
wanted a child. And so she goes at the beginning, she makes a vow with this same sacrifice because you would make with this sacrifice, you could make a vow, right? And then at the end of it, when God answers, when the prayer is answered, you come in and you celebrate, right? And so she, so at the end, Samuel's born. She's the vow is, you know, God, I'll give him to your service. If you answer my prayer, God answers. And so she comes back and she sell a huge celebration. And she's saying, thank you, Lord. I prayed a specific prayer and you gave me a specific answer. The prodigal son. Many people, we don't really need to know much about the Bible. We've heard that phrase. Prod- oh, the prodigal. The prodigal has returned. What's that all about? The prodigal son. He comes back, right? He turns and he leaves his family. He makes decisions that create a separation, And then one day we're told the father is standing there. I wonder if he's standing looking east. It doesn't say so, but that's just me talking. He's standing there watching. And we're told one day he sees on the horizon the sun coming. And then we're told something very unusual. That father breaks out in a run. An older gentleman would never run in public. It's a disgraceful thing. And so the father disgraces himself. And he runs and he gathers that son and he takes him in. Then what does he say? What does he say? What does he do? Put the robe on him, put the finger up, all this kind of stuff, clean him up. What? And he says, what? Kill the fatted calf. The fatted calf. If you'll really read Leviticus 3, which is what this sacrifice is all about, there's fat all over the place. Lots of fat. I almost thought about it calling it fat burners. <laughs> Instead, we're calling it less party because they say kill the fat. What's the fat? The fatted calf is the best one. The best we're going to give our best to God. And then they have this huge celebration, massive, big party. They party down big time. They're happy. Why? Because the father had prayed a specific prayer and God answered the specific prayer. And now the boy has come home and they're recognizing that with a huge party and a celebration. It's, it's absolutely awesome. This is the only, what one Bible scholar says, this is the only sacrifice of the five where you get a rebate. Anybody like rebates? You buy a computer, get the rebate, and you feel good when the rebate comes in, right? So every other sacrifice, you sacrifice, here, it's all God's. Burns up, it's all God's. Last week, the bread, right? Some burned up to God, and the other, the priests get to eat. But the person bringing it, they get nothing. Here's your opportunity. This is the time when you actually get to participate. Communion is this sacrifice. Jesus Christ makes a vow in communion, and they celebrate a meal. When you see the meal associated... That means it is this sacrifice. They sit down in the presence of God. Deuteronomy 12, 7. Listen to what it says. This is the Shilamim, right? Then you and your families will feast where? In the presence of God. What does Jesus Christ say about communion? He says, this is my body. This is my blood. What's he saying to us? I am there when you celebrate this sacrifice, the vow that I've made to you. There you and your families will feast in the presence of the Lord your God and will rejoice. How do we go deeper and deeper and deeper into the presence of God? Protocol one, two, now we're to three. Look, you might say, oh, John, wait a minute. I thought we just, one, protocol one, we're in presence of God. No, 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 please, come on. That's not the way relationships function. Who in us in this room would like to go out on a date with somebody, be on one date, then look across the table and say, you know what? I've been on a date with you. Everything I need to know, I already know it. This is it. This is as deep as you are. I, you know, I got you figured out after one date. Who would like that? Yes, nervous laughter, right? <laughs> you don't want that. 
who are we to say, oh, hey, 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 I've made it into the temple courts. I'm in, baby. I'm in. I know there's, I've experienced everything there is to know about God. I've taken God as deep as I can go. There's far deeper than you would ever imagine. We will never go to the depths of where we can go in the presence of God. And gratitude takes us a step deeper. Now, this is really practical. And it's a real life experience for me, okay? So my wife has a tremendous gift for giving gifts. You know anybody like that? Who just, they're like really good. They just know what to give, right? It's great gift giver. I'm on the other end of the extreme. I have no clue what to give as a gift. She's really great at it. She's really great at it. And I've got to say that there has been, to, to my utter shame, there's been times when she's given me a really great gift or she's act, like worked, like handmade something and presented to me. Of course, she's all excited, you know, and boom, there it is. And I open up and I say, oh, okay. Put it aside. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. Call me crazy. Call me crazy. But in that moment, it feels like a very large wall, a very large cold wall goes up and it stays there. It stays there. How long does it stay? It stays until I look her in the eye and say, sweetheart, I'm an idiot. Please forgive me. That was an awesome gift. I'm stopping and recognizing how incredible. You are just so awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, right? It's very practical. Same thing with God. Gratitude. Gratitude grows our relationship with God. That's what Leviticus is saying. And we need to say, thank you, Lord. We pray, oh God, are you ever going to answer my prayers? And then God answers. We're like, okay, good. (laughs) No, bad move, bad move. We want to go deeper into God's presence. And so what Leviticus is saying to us is we have to show gratitude. And that is what this sacrifice is all about. Now, uh, the Israelites, they're in the desert. What is the prevailing attitude while they're in the desert? What's the prevailing attitude of Israel while they are in the desert? It's one word. It starts with a G. Anybody know? It's not gratitude. Grumbling, which is the exact opposite of gratitude. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Grumble stifles our relationship with God. Gratitude grows our relationship with God. So they needed water, and so they grumbled. They needed meat, so they grumbled. They needed bread, so they grumbled. They keep grumbling. Now, you need water, meat, and bread. There's nothing wrong with wanting water, meat, and bread. We got to have it. But the problem was is they grumbled about it. They grumbled because they felt so entitled to it. They were fret. Give us. You know what I noticed? I went and read those stories again this past week. Never once did they say thank you. Never once did they stop after God supplies the water, meat, and bread. And they say, oh, my goodness, thank you. We asked. You answered. Thank you. Thank you. They don't do it. Why in the world would they not have gratitude? Gratitude tears this wall down and we engage and enter into the presence of God, which is where our souls long to be. Why in the world would we not show gratitude? I just have two quick points and then we're going to do something very special here, okay? The first point is this, entitlement. When we feel entitled, we just keep moving east. Entitlement is always moving east. Now, there's nobody here in this room that feels entitled, but you all know somebody who feels entitled, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, let's, show a, let's show a picture on the screen. See if I can make this point. Just suppose that one day somebody rolls up into my driveway and they've got a brand new, top-of-the-line, black Toyota Highlander with black leather seats. Not that I've thought a lot about this. <laughs> What if they roll up and they hand me the keys and say, it's all yours, there you go. What am I going to do, right? 
I got a 20-year-old car. What am I going to do? I'm like, woo, right? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's awesome. Now, all right, same car, same car. Ready? What if I go to a dealership and I sign my life away and I buy that car at fair market value and that salesperson walks out and hands me the keys? Do I hug them and say, thank you, thank you, thank you? No, I say, give me the keys. I sure hoped that you washed that thing inside now because if there's one thing wrong with that car, if there's one thing, I'm going to show up here, baby, because you're going to make that car right. Same car, two completely different attitudes. Entitlement. Because we feel entitled. We feel like, you know, I earned it. I deserve that. I deserve that. Now listen, I talked about this about a year ago, but this is, this is so true. We have to mention it again. Human beings, me, okay, I have an unlimited capacity for self-deception. Unlimited. I see all your problems. I can't see mine. Okay? Okay. Uh, they gave people a survey. This happened a few years back. They want to know who's going to heaven. All right? Gave a list of all kinds of big celebrities who's going to heaven. Not, number two answer. Number two answer was Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, number two, surely Mother Teresa. Gonna get, I mean, her numbers were like at 80-some percent way up there. And who was right on her heels? Who, who do you think? Who's number three? Who's number three? Just say something. <laughs> Billy Graham. Billy Graham, the Pope. They're all like right in there together. Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, Pope. It's, Two, three, four, right? They're all right in there. Oprah's down at like 60%. Michael Jordan's like at 50%. Okay, right. There is only one person who tops the list as a virtual lock to make it into heaven. Who was it? The person filling out the survey. Virtual lock is getting in. If you're filling out the survey, you're in. You're in. Why? Because we can't help it. There is an entitlement. I deserve it. I might do bad things, but I'm a good person and I deserve to go to heaven. Right? So entitlement keeps us from moving into the... It keeps us from gratitude, from saying thank you. Do you ever watch it sometimes when you do something for somebody and you just they never say thank you? Right? Gratitude flows out of a humble heart. Grumbling flows out of an entitled heart. It's very important. Now, we have been saying this all along, and I want to go through something very briefly with you. The Bible is only telling one story. One story. The Bible's not telling two, three, four stories. It's telling one story. And that story is always Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is always the hero. Abraham and Sarah... Jacob, Moses, they're not heroes in the Bible. We look at these people, Peter, James, and says, oh, there's heroes. I want to be like them. The Bible's not doing that. The Bible's not saying these people are the heroes. There's only one hero, and his name is Jesus Christ in the Bible. And the Bible just keeps telling us that story over and over again so that we won't feel entitled. Oh, I can become like Peter. I can become like James or Moses. No, you can't. You know, well, yes, you can. You can. Because all of us fall short, but only Jesus. So I want to go through a scenario with you, all right? Israel, Jesus. Israel goes down into Egypt because of a man named Joseph. He had food. Israel goes down into Egypt because of Joseph. Jesus Christ goes down into Egypt as a young child because of who? 
because of a father by the name of Joseph. Joseph takes him down into Egypt. Israel, all the baby boys are being slaughtered, murdered by a crazy king. Jesus is born and all the baby boys are being killed by who? King Herod, exactly. Israel, God miraculously sets them free. And we're told that He parts the Red Sea, which is symbolic of baptism, according to the Apostle Paul. And they go through on dry ground. Their enemy comes in. Boom, the enemy is cut off there. They get to the other side. Israel is called my son as a nation, my son. And we're told the Spirit of God hovers over top of them. Now let's talk about Jesus. He shows up. And John the Baptist says, I can't baptize you. I can't. He says, no, no, you baptize me because I want to identify with the people that I love. Baptize me. And John the Baptist says, he's going to baptize you with water and fire. Fire is judgment. He's going to take our judgment so that our enemies is cut off, right? And then we're told that a voice from heaven says, this is my son, right? And the Spirit of God comes down in hovers just like it did over the Israelites. And then the Israelites go out into the wilderness for 40 years. And Jesus Christ goes out into the wilderness for 40 days to be tested with three major temptations and they fail every single one. And Jesus Christ goes into the wilderness and he's tested by the devil three times and he passes each one with flying colors. And then he comes to us and he says, you will never pass the test. It is so weird that when people think about church, they think church is a place where you, here's this long list of things that you do. And if you do all these things, you're a good person and you're gonna get into heaven. When actually the Bible is saying, you can't pass any test. Only Jesus Christ can pass the test and he'll pass it for you and he'll give you his grade and you get, right? And he gets yours. When we, when that seeps down into our soul that there's no entitlement, a deep humility, a profound humility enters our soul and out of that humility flows gratitude. But unless we understand that single story of Jesus Christ that I deserve nothing because I can't do this, then gratitude is stopped up. The gratitude must flow. There's the first thing, entitlement. Entitlement always, always moves these. Here's the second thing I want to say. Psalm 103 says, Praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits. Forget not all his benefits. Somebody said to me years ago, our minds are leaky. And I thought, oh my gosh, you're exactly right. I forget stuff. So I pray this stuff to God all the time. Hey, God, will you answer this? Will you answer this? Will you, you know. And then I realized, wait a minute. I remember some time ago I prayed about this and God answered. And I never even, I didn't even recognize it. I forgot it. And so I never said thank you, which is a terrible thing because gratitude grows my relationship with God. So in January, we talked about something that uh, I've been doing for a long time. 50 cent notebook, right? Keep a journal and write down your specific prayer like throughout this year all throughout this year write them down but in the very front of it saves space and when you make a specific prayer request to god record it at the very beginning which is what i do i try to do it almost every day of my life i don't do it every day of my life you pray for me i pray for you we'll try to do it together okay but almost every day i look at those answers and i just say god i just want to thank you so much because i've prayed about things that i want to thank you so much because you've answered, and then I'll just start slowly reading the list god you did this you did this you did this you did this and you know what I used to think that God's answers to my prayers just trickled in. 
like a very, very slow, slow, like, where are you, God? You know what I'm saying? Does anybody, does anybody, does anybody bold enough to say, yeah, man, I feel that way. Anybody here? Okay, thank you. So I decided this past week, let me count how many things I've written down. 45 since January. 45. No way. Is God picking up his game because I'm doing this? What's happening? You know what? Because I'm taking the time actually to record what's going on and then record when the answers come in. And now I'm taking the time to say, God, thank you so much for what you're doing. We don't want to make the same mistake that the Israelites made out in the desert and did not show gratitude for the meat, for the water, and the bread. We can't do that. We have got to make sure that we take the time to enter into God's presence by stopping, recognizing, and saying thank you. The Hebrew term for gratitude literally means this, recognizing the good. Are you recognizing the good? There's a great quote. I forgot to put the quote up. Let's do the quote by Thornton Wilder, right? Thornton, if I can find it here on this list. Let's just read it. Oh, here it is. When we, we can only be said to be alive in those moments when our hearts are conscious of our treasures. Are you stopping and, you're praying, but are you stopping to recognize the good? So here's what we're going to do now. We're going to close this service out by giving you a blizzard of answers to prayer. So we're going to have a group of people come up over here real quick, and they're going to share with us answer after answer after answer of things that they have prayed for, specific prayer requests, specific answers. So could you all help me by welcoming them to the platform very much? Here they come. Wonderful view. Very nice. Okay. Jim's up first. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jim. In December 2012, I was diagnosed with cancer. Immediately upon hearing the news, my church family rallied around me in prayer. I put all my faith in God that he would guide me through this. As a result, God worked in my life in amazing ways. I was referred to one of the best urologists in the country. When I was lying in the hospital preparing for surgery, my surgeon prayed for me with my pastor and family. Following a successful surgery, I thanked my doctor, and he replied, it wasn't me. It was God's divine intervention. I take none of the credit here. My name is Rhonda. I prayed that my younger sister in Arkansas would get closer to God. My mom contacted me, who didn't know about my prayer, and said that my sister had been in church similar to Grace for several Sundays in a row with her daughter and nieces. My name is Ryan. My dad died suddenly in 2004, and for several years, many of us have been praying that God would give my mom another amazing marriage. One snowy day last February, God sent her the perfect match, a wonderful, godly, quirky guy from my wonderful, godly, quirky mom. They were just married in an astonishing answer to prayer. My name is Mariana. After a very painful dating relationship, I was very resistant to prayer. This resistance lasted for a long time, but God was working on me. Then on New Year's Eve two years ago, I finally let go of that resistance. I opened my heart to God and really prayed for a man. A short time later, boom, I have my man. (laughs) And I'm getting married in November. My name is Jamie. 
As a few of you know, I recently finalized a very painful divorce after nearly a two-year court battle. What made this process easier was the fact that my men's group stood by my side every step of the way. I joined my men's group at the start of my separation over two years ago because I realized the need for support of godly men. One of the many answered prayers is this guy right here, Mr. Doug Swigger, who approached me one day after church and said, If you need anything, I'm there for you. Being a cynic, I knew he really didn't mean anything. <laughs> so I invited him to drive with me to Ohio for one of my many court hearings, and he said yes. Long story short, we talked, fellowship, strategized, and prayed together for nearly 16 hours on the road over a 24-hour period. Doug Swigert and my entire men's group are an answer to prayers. My name is Diani. I was able to go to college thanks to a nearly full-track scholarship. However, when, I, when, when the end of my first semester came, I didn't have the money to pay for school and I thought, I'd had to, I thought I'd have to drop out. One night, extremely upset and discouraged, I surrendered to God. I began to pray and ask him for his help. Later that night, I had a phone call. It was someone from a scholarship foundation in Jamaica who wanted to finance the remaining of my scholarship, the remaining of my tuition for the rest of that semester. What's amazing is that I did not apply for this scholarship. I found out I found out later that someone, a friend of my family, secretly found out about my situation and applied for this scholarship on my behalf. Since then, I've attended college free of cost up to the PhD level, thanks to God. Hi, my name is uh, Tony. And it's going to be easy for you to hear this testimony and see it as a medical train wreck. But I think the better way to look at it is not so much as it being my testimony, but as it being a testimony of what God has done in my life and how he has answered prayer again and again and again, and how he has increased my faith each step of the way. So this all starts in the final trimester of my mother's pregnancy with me. There had been no detectable heartbeat or movement for several weeks, and the doctor said that I would be stillborn. My mother's response to that was to pray for a heartbeat. And here I am. As a freshman in high school, I developed lupus. I dropped from 120 pounds to 70 pounds. All of my joints swelled. I couldn't make a fist. I lost the ability to walk. Gradually, I stopped eating and drinking and I remember in the hospital, a priest coming in and administering the last rites. But my mother, my, my father, other people that I didn't know were praying for me. The doctors weren't really sure what to do, so they blasted me with high-dose meds. God answered their prayers. Slowly, I began to recover. My first physical therapy exercise was an attempt 
to lift my head from an exercise mat. I remember it uh, vividly because I was unable to do it. I ended up missing six months of school and it would be a full year before I would be able to walk again without fear of falling. Being back at school as a sophomore was uh, a lonely time for me. At one point, I set up a friend on a date and immediately after I did that, I realized that I had just set someone else up with a girlfriend. I said, for the first time in my life, I prayed for the first time in my life, God, why can't I have a girl like that? I couldn't walk, but I was praying for a girlfriend. <laughs> I, was I was 15. <laughs> so because of the lupus, I received a scholarship to a college that I didn't want to go to. But when I went to Seton Hall, the first person I met on the first day was the person who four years later would lead me to Jesus. God was at work. He had a plan. I just couldn't see it. So after college, I got married and the lupus roared back. My fingers became so swollen that my new bride had to tie my shoes. That was humiliating. When our first child was born, I was unable to lift her. I prayed, but there was no answer. But that does not mean that God wasn't actively at work in my life. Later in law school, lupus attacked my kidneys. My urine went from yellow to orange to bright red to brown and then to black, just like coffee. The doctor said I was seven days from organ failure. She wasn't sure what to do, but she was adamant that we needed to pray. She tried an experimental treatment, chemotherapy, for two years. God answered our prayers. He saved my kidneys and he saved my life. That was 20 years ago. Three years ago, I was diagnosed with throat cancer, stage four. The doctors used an experimental protocol, and today I am not in remission. I am cancer-free. Another answer to prayer, God won cancer zero. It has been, it has not been a train wreck, but it has been quite a wild ride. I call out to God and he rescues me and he builds my faith. But if you remember back to that first prayer when I was 15, why can't I have a girl like that? God took eight years to answer that prayer, but he didn't give me a girl like that. He gave me that same girl. And as a matter of fact, <laughs> she came to church with me today.
We've been married for 33 years. Prayer works in God's time. Amen. That's awesome. Huh? <laughs> That's our music team. Come on up. Music team's going to come out, and they're going to lead us uh, in a really special song here at the end about uh, being in God's presence. Because that's where we want to be. Gratitude. Gratitude grows our relationship. Gratitude tears the wall down, and we enter into the presence of God. So in this moment, with all these answers to prayer, we want to be sensitive to what God is speaking to us. We want to think about you know, we, we left We left most of the back of that bulletin where we always have a lot of Scripture. We left it completely free. Almost completely free. Half of it free. So you could maybe write some answers down. Maybe something's come to your mind. As those who have shared here this morning, maybe something's going to write it down. Take a moment and write it down as we sing this song. Uh, we have realized that there are a number of people in this community who are facing uh, some physical health problems either directly or it's somebody that you know, somebody you love, somebody you care for, somebody that's close to you. They could be here or they could be all the way across the country, but there's some need for physical healing. So this past week, we've been talking about it. We've been praying about it. We really felt today that today we need to focus on that. So our prayer team's going to be over here. You can come to them for prayer, for healing, or for anything else right against this wall. But Tony and his bride, his answer to prayer, and myself and a few others are going to be against this wall over here. In addition to that, we will, we will specifically pray for healing. In this moment, in this atmosphere in which we have given thanks to God and we sense God's presence, let's take advantage of this moment and not walk away. Enter in by saying, thank you, God, for what you've done. And let's pray for those who need to be healed. Okay? Let's stand up. I'm going to sing this song. Let me pray a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for all these answers to prayer. Bring to our minds remind us help us not to forget your benefits and what you've done and to right now recognize it and say thank you God you answered a prayer I prayed for and then Lord for everybody experiencing the need for healing God we ask that you would release your healing power in this place today and that there would be people who would be healed all for your honor and your glory in Christ's name Amen Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.